Welcome to the Sticky CMO, brought to you by award-winning marketer Tom Baskill. This is the podcast for CMOs who want to become indispensable. Each week, Tom is joined by expert guests on the cutting edge of their fields to help you level up where it matters. From socials to lead gen, each episode is packed with actionable tips for marketers looking to become irreplaceable in their organizations, because 2023 is the year to become sticky. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Sticky CMO. My name is Tom Baskill, and it's my pleasure to welcome today's guest, Margaret Malloy. Margaret is quite a remarkable CMO. She's been the global chief marketing officer of Siegel and Gale since 2013. She's the host of How CMOs Commit, and she's just been named one of the 2023 B2B marketing trendsetters and trailblazers in the professional service marketers category. Margaret, how are you today? Good morning, Tom. What an honor to be on your show and to have the opportunity to spend time with your listeners. I'm so excited to have some conversation, discuss some insights that I think could be really useful to more senior level marketers. One thing that I've really been interested in is this idea of simplifying. There are so many channels There are so many tactics, there are so many strategies. How do we cut through the noise? So I really want to understand how CMOs can simplify, particularly their message and their approach. As a marketer who values simplicity, what does simplicity actually mean to you in the context of branding? What a wonderful and generative question. I'll set the stage by saying Siegel & Gale is a brand strategy, design, and experience firm. And simplicity is core to our ethos. We believe simple is smart. Now, we also recognize that simple is not easy. If I contextualize this question as it relates to brand, I find it's useful to define brand. And in very simple speak, brand is a promise. Mm. And we make those promises to all our stakeholders. Essentially, it's an emotional construct. Now, brand has a lot of jobs to be done. It can serve as a navigational device when you're in the supermarket to identify that product. It can serve as a manifestation of identity, as a part of community, for a user of a product, if you will, an expression of themselves. And it's also essentially a memorable shorthand for the quality of an experience. So with that as brand, let's talk about simplicity. For us, we take a very expansive view of simplicity. We believe that brand experiences are simple when they happen with both elements. And two elements are remarkably clear and unexpectedly fresh. And to have those elements, you have a simple brand experience. If you just solve for clarity, there's a risk that you're dull and not memorable. So you need that freshness. And freshness really speaks to the notion that brand experiences need to continue to evolve as the bar heightens, essentially, and as consumers' expectations change, as innovations occur. I would add some qualities to simplicity because some people do find it a little intangible. So I would say clarity, transparency and honesty, consistency, empathy, freshness. Those are all qualities that simple brand experiences imbue. Mm, Yes. When you are seeing a product or you're seeing a service, you want to absolutely have this emotional connection. That makes a lot of sense to me. How could a brand simplify their message without losing their UVP, the unique value proposition, or their competitive edge? Yes, there's the challenge, isn't it? 
Look, I think the reality is you don't want to be bland. Simplicity is not bland. It's not about being reductive, and that's a misunderstanding sometimes. It's about getting to the essence of your company's DNA and what matters to your stakeholders. So at the heart of it, the value proposition has to be simple. Because if the value proposition is not simple, then everything else falls apart. And that often begins with having a deep insight on your users, people, as I prefer to say, understanding what's the job to be done by your offering to that population and how you uniquely do that. So it begins with that insight. Essentially, it starts with having a strategy. And then the branding brings that to life, dramatizes that strategy. But you must have a strategy that's simple to begin with. And frankly, be choiceful. Because you can't be everything to everyone, and that's often what we see that's limiting, or you pile on, and then you get confusion. Can you talk a little bit about that? When you say pile on, do you mean just add to what others are doing in the industry and not really standing out? Yes, and Tom. I have a, a brilliant colleague who often references brands that come with 17 ideas on a page. Mm. And essentially, the point is so many ideas, so many disparate thoughts, but nothing differentiated, ownable, and clear. And look, it's not a surprising phenomena. Piling on is often a product of a company's growth. A company goes into new geographies, expands its product portfolio, acquires entities, and in that growth, the temptation is to pile on more language, more visuals, and then you enter into this word salad of language and, if you will, everything on the table without doing the hard work of saying what's uniquely ours, what sets us apart, what can we own. And sometimes that's a challenge for the CMO because it requires removing things prioritization. Sometimes there are stakeholders in the organization who want to see themselves reflected. So there's a political component, there's a power component, and that's why the greatest branding programs start at the top of the organization. Must have CEO commitment, must have leadership alignment to help make these choiceful decisions that require an alignment around what do we really stand for in the market? Mm, mm -hmm, absolutely. That's very insightful. The CMO's job is not just being a brilliant strategist and bringing a whole team together. It's really these political aspects of making sure that everyone is aligned and stakeholders are not just happy, but a little bit strategic in how they see the brand. Tom, that's such an important insight. And really, sometimes I think the CMO is a translator. Mm -hmm. When they do their jobs really well, and we have some wonderful clients that are exemplars of this, they endeavor to take the business strategy and translate that into brand experiences. And they can come to life in words, in pictures, but increasingly as experiences. Because when you think about it, a brand really is the summation of all the touch points your stakeholders have with your organization. That's a lot of people, and those are a lot of touch points. So that ability to translate is very powerful. Mm, I like that. The CMO is a translator. 
Could you share an example of an organization that has really successfully simplified their branding efforts and perhaps the impact it has had on their business? Certainly. I'll give you two very quick examples. The first one is Global Foundries, semiconductor manufacturer and designer. And they had a business strategy that essentially is around making smarter, not smaller chips. Somewhat of a challenger business proposition. And they came to us with the objective of articulating that positioning and bringing it to life visually, verbally, etc. And we worked with the team to come up with a positioning that essentially is the new era of more. A little bit of a nod to Moore's Law, which is a very folkloric concept in the tech industry, and also a nod to their challenger identity. We supported that with beautiful visual and other treatments. And the impact's really important. They were in 2021, the largest IPO when they listed on the NASDAQ. And I believe to date, the largest of all time semiconductor listing in terms of proceeds from an IPO. And indeed, perhaps more important, this clarity around their value proposition empowered them to have a good conversation in Washington around the CHIPS Act and other very important conversations as CHIPS become a very focal point of business economic strategy, frankly, government strategy and policy. So that's a really example of a company that had a business strategy and needed to translate that into a brand strategy. Mm -hmm. Another example I want to touch on briefly is less traditional branding, if you will, but more speaks to my commentary in the beginning that brand is about experiences. So a very large insurer came to us with the challenge that they were having, frankly, the need to pay out a lot of settlements to their members for their process known as the grievance process. So in that process, if you're not happy with the outcome of a claim, you as a member call the insurer and there's protocol around resolution. Well, their process had become so convoluted, it took too long to generate an outcome. And as a result, they ended up having to pay people because there is a regulatory backdrop against which within a period of time, payment must be made. So we came in, we visited with that entire experience and essentially simplified it. And it had two very important outcomes. Number one, from the member's perspective, because it provided greater clarity, there was greater satisfaction there. And then from the insurer's perspective, because resolution was achieved within a time frame, they ended up having to pay out fewer settlements to the members. So a double benefit. And that's not a classic, we did a rebrand. It's much more a brand experience, simplification of a very important member touch point. Mm. And I like how that benefits both the brand itself, but also the members and really just made a better experience all around. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the intention. And sometimes it takes an outside perspective to come in and audit the different touch points, visualize them, create that schematic that everyone sees in one place the experience of the member. And that model can be applied to any customer in any setting. Mm -hmm. When we think about more traditional branding, I think visual identity, 
design, those are always, I feel like what people expect. They expect the logo change, right? How could simplicity be integrated into a brand's visual identity and design elements? I believe the most important component is thinking of the visual identity as a system. So certainly you have a logo, but there is also the color palette, iconography, and many other tools and devices that the brand needs to visually represent. One of my favorite examples is CVS. CVS is now a Fortune 10 company. When they came to us some time ago, they were endeavoring to create a single visual identity that brought together four distinct business units. And together with the client, we designed the now iconic heart. And it represented their brand personality, leading with heart. You will see it now in the local CVS store as it continues to roll out. But it's also visible in the iconography that is present in many of their store-made products and other settings. So what's really beautiful about that is it's a visual representation of their personality. It's an ownable icon, if you will. It's very immediately identifiable as CVS Health. And I think that's beautiful because it's not generic, it's ownable. And it's coming to life in many different channels. Yes, absolutely. With so many marketing channels available today, how can marketers simplify their approach, Ray, a distribution channel? I think the priority is to know who you are, know your DNA, have a clear brand purpose, have a clear brand platform such that when you show up on any channel you choose, you are authentically you. That's job one. Do the core fundamental brand work. Job two is to recognize that it's ideal to be native to that platform. We've all seen the model where brands show up and they just look like they don't belong in that platform or in that channel, in that setting. So it's a little bit about homework. It's taking counsel. Sometimes it's just stopping and looking first and seeing how people comport themselves in that particular channel. We've all been in settings when we've stretched ourselves in our lives. We're a little uncomfortable. The suit doesn't quite fit. And sometimes you can recover from that, but it's helpful to take a peek first and see what the dress code is before you go to that party. And I find that to be a helpful metaphor as brands think about channels. And then the third suggestion is pick your platforms, your channels, and be fabulous on the ones you choose. It's a preferable strategy than being mediocre in many places. Absolutely. I can think of brands attempting to get onto Reddit, for instance, which is a very challenging platform. And frankly, if any of my clients are interested in that, I say we need to get a Reddit expert because that is its own channel. I like the idea of the suit you might be a little uncomfortable, but really look at that to start out with. How do you balance the need for simplicity with this desire to stand out in a very crowded market? I don't see a conflict mm. between the two because I think you stand out if you're true to your DNA and if you actually deliver on the promises you make. That sounds really fundamental, Tom, doesn't it? But how many brands make promises that they don't keep. Or there's a dissonance between the marketing communications and your experience and my experience when we encounter the brand. And honestly, 
That's very basic, but that's how you stand out. Like in any human relationship, you think about your best friends, the people you hold dear. A key component of that relationship is reliability, consistency, and empathy. Well, if a brand exhibits those qualities, they will stand out because so many don't. Could you discuss the role of storytelling in simplifying a brand's message and resonating with their audience? I loved the CVS example of the heart, which really lends itself to telling a story. How does that really play out? Well, Tom, I'm Irish, so we love storytelling. But briefly, I would make two points. And one would be to a little bit, perhaps unsurprisingly, challenge your premise. Because I think in this setting, it's about story building. Mm. The old model of storytelling is predicated on the idea that the brand manager or leader, CMO, can control the narrative. That's long gone. So now it's about putting messages, experiences in channels, in markets that the users, the customers, the community want to share. Because great stories are stories that are shared by others. Classic example is the phenomena of unboxing, Apple being a great exemplar. So creating an experience that has this wonderful moment that people want to capture and share on the channel of their choosing, in the language of their choosing. So you're creating the context that someone else wants to share. So that's a little bit of a flip on the storytelling but it gets to this idea of creating signature moments. And then the final of two points I will make is the storytelling, whether you think of it as story building or more traditional storytelling, it must be based on an insight around your market, your audience. So if you don't know your audience, then how can you have an insight or perpetuate a story, plant an idea, articulate a value proposition or a purpose that will resonate with them. So the exercise is to do the homework, deeply understand your user, your population, and then the stories will naturally resonate with them. I like the insight. I think of traditionally marketers are told to look for pain points, but that's really one-sided. If we're talking about emotion, there are so many more emotions other than pain. So I love that concept of an insight. That's so good, Tom. I mean, hunting for joy is much more fruitful than hunting for pain. Now, that's probably more of a framing device, thinking about pain, because when it pertains to simplicity, often there is pain. And brands can, by removing friction, by simplifying a process. And I'm not merely talking about the visual and verbal identity. I'm talking about the buying process or even post-purchase, how to use your product, how to get service, how to get access to the community. Those are often points of friction, aka pain, that if you have the insight, the empathy, the understanding of your market, you can address and therefore bring that joy that will create stories that people will tell others about. When I think about brand and I work with a lot of B2B tech clients, and I find that in that space, there is always this push for what is our ROI? What is immediately measurable? Are we generating revenue and and things like that? And I I think that branding is more of a long-term strategy that will bring you great results. When we're talking about measurement, how can a brand measure the success of their efforts to simplify their branding and messaging? 
So, Tom, I subscribe to your view. And one of the mistakes that brands make is duration. In other words, they're expecting things to happen too quickly. So aligned with that as an operating idea, fundamentally, it begins with understanding what is the objective of the program and what can brand do. So often, brand can impact perceptions. It can get your company, your product offering into the consideration set for purchase. And that's a very good way to think about it. I spent much of my career in B2B. And as B2B companies create new offerings or often are perceived to be the sole provider in the niche they began in, but very often their offering has expanded and they've, if we use the suit metaphor again, they've outgrown the suit and people still perceive them to be the provider of AB when they have a whole portfolio of offerings and solutions. So brand can impact perception as a very practical example and get a company into the sales process that may not have been in that sales process under its old branding framework. So what was the objective? That's the first question. Is it about changing perceptions? Is it about getting into the consideration set? Is it about perceived for a particular attribute? So in that exercise, first it begins with understanding What are the attributes that matter to the B2B buyer in your category? How are we performing against those attributes, having a baseline? And then post-program, how have we moved the needle on those attributes? Very practical example. Supposing you're a B2B technology company, like many of your clients, Tom, and they want to be known for innovation and they do the analysis and that's not an attribute, a brand attribute they score highly on. Then they work on their positioning and their brand experience and articulate a message that is around innovation and of course supported with brand experiences that represent innovation and then test that with a reasonable period of time to see how they've moved a needle. And in that process, they may decide innovation matters more to us than, let's say, another quality like partnership. So you have to be choiceful and lean into the attribute or small set of attributes you want to be known for. Because in the end of the day, people are busy. Buyers, customers, users, they are very cognitively challenged. So you have to be choiceful and pick the attributes that are going to move the needle in your business and then see how you have impacted it there. But being realistic is important too. What can brand do and what it can't do? And as we said at the very beginning, thinking very expansively about brand. It's not just the logo and the words, although those are very important components. It's also the experiences that all stakeholders have with your organization. Margaret, we've talked a lot about the benefits of simplifying your brand building. What are the drawbacks, if any? I think, like anything, you can over-rotate because some brands run the risk of getting too generic. That's a real risk. And it reflects a lack of sophistication around what simplicity is. Because as I suggested earlier, it's not about being reductive. It's not about dumbing things down. The geniuses of simplifiers are the ones who know what to strip away and what to keep. 
And that's what creates a unique brand experience, a brand that will achieve business outcomes and create the kind of memories that will motivate your audience to want to share their experiences with their connections. Margaret, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on to The Sticky CMO. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I invite your audience to follow Siegel and Gail on all those platforms, but in particular on LinkedIn. And indeed, I invite you to follow me, Margaret Malloy, on LinkedIn as well. Thank you, Margaret. Pleasure, Tom. Thanks. So thank you for listening to The Sticky CMO. We're available on the podcast app of your choice, as well as on YouTube as a video podcast. For more information on how to become indispensable to your organization, please visit us at www.tombaskill.com, spelt B-A-S-G-I-L.